Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was in Paris earlier this month for a global summit on online violent extremism. New Zealand's initiative, Christchurch Call, is a pledge that countries will set guidelines on how the media should report acts of terrorism and adopt and enforce laws on objectionable material. This follows New Zealand's ban on semi-automatic weapons and assault rifles weeks after the Christchurch mosque shootings in March 2019. I'm Clara Young. We talk about Christchurch Call, New Zealand's landmark well-being budget, housing, and Ms. Ardern's thoughts about how work is changing. You held a a Future of Work Summit on adapting the workforce for climate and digital disruption. Can you tell us about that? We've been quite focused on trying to address uh, the long-term challenges that New Zealand is facing. And actually, of course, um, those challenges are not unlike uh, the challenges that that other countries are trying to address. How do we transition our economy to a lower emissions, sustainable um, future when, of course, like others, we have been reliant on um, fossil fuels um, and we're a food-producing nation? At the same time, we also, of course, are going through the same digital disruption of other nations. We know that a large proportion of our jobs uh, in the future, in the next two decades, will either change entirely or disappear altogether. And so for us, for both of those issues, actually it's about taking the same approach, um, preparing our workforce. So even if we cannot predict the jobs of the future, making sure that we have access to uh, workplace training and retraining and lifelong learning to prepare, um, and also trying to transition our economy into those low emissions futures by doing things like um, making sure incentivizing um, R&D in the spaces where uh, we have high emissions outputs like agriculture. putting in place a green um, uh, investment fund so that we're investing um, resource and capital um, into those alternative technologies. Um, so those are the kinds of challenges that we're trying to face now so that we don't have a jarring experience when we transition overnight. One of the big problems um, that we found in our studies is that the people who are going to be the hardest hit by automation are also those who don't tend to want to do extra training. They tend to be older. Uh, have you, what kind of policies have you come up to deal with this? Yeah, and in, and in those cases, um, very much we're talking about trying to transition an existing workforce who will already be in work. Um, they won't want to be thinking about additional training and education. They have a job. Um, so in those cases, uh, we've started uh, working directly with business employers and unions. We've created a tripartite forum where we jointly sit around the table and um, debate that very issue. Um, And in doing so, one of the outcomes has been, um, through um, a business advisory council I work with, a commitment from uh, businesses that represent well over 100,000 workers that they will invest directly in reskilling and uh, training their existing workforce. Uh, So they're doubling their training budgets and they're being transparent around their investment in training so that they're more focused on on on-the-job training. So not just thinking about, for instance, educating an existing uh, workforce who perhaps work in uh, telephonic customer service around customer service on the phone, but thinking about what will those workers do in a future where we have much more automated responses and embedding that into the workplace um, so that they are learning on the job right now perhaps in work time, perhaps through micro-credentialing, 
rather than doing it after hours or outside of their place of work when they have other competing interests. Can you tell me about your well-being budget? Yeah, of course. You know, it's actually a really simple premise. And that is that for too long, um, I think as rightly the um, OECD and others have recognised, uh, just a simple focus on GDP doesn't tell us about the well-being um, of our people and that uh, the well-being of our people and our environment are not just inputs um, into our economic outcomes. They, um, they and in themselves should be the focus of um, government. Uh, and so we have now uh, something that's been developed by our Treasury, a living standard framework that looks at different measures essentially of success. Now we're not just looking at those measures and acknowledging they exist now and saying it's interesting data. We're trying to use that to change our decision making. Well, so what, what kind of um, measurements are you looking at when you say of success? Like, like what, for example? Well, of course, if we think about, for instance, Poverty is a good example, child poverty. Um, I'm the Minister for Child Poverty Reduction, so I'm particularly um, focused on this area. Um, we have now put in legislation, which means that we report um, publicly on how many children in New Zealand are living in poverty. And each year when we deliver a budget, we won't just talk about our fiscal forecasts, we will also report on the number of children who are living in poverty and our progress against targets to reduce it. That then in turn, means that we start changing our policies. Of course we need to hit our targets, so we start changing the policies around tax credits, around universal child benefits, around in-kind support, and what we can do to make sure that, it's, uh, that material deprivation decreases. So it changes behaviour, so it's not just about measurement, it's then about doing things differently. Uh, you are also working on making uh, housing more affordable, um, building more social housing, uh, other things too. Could you talk about that? Of course, you know, so much of our well-being is attached to housing. So if we are interested in making sure that we have children and families that are healthy and well, um, actually you need to make sure that they have warm, dry housing. If you want to reduce child poverty, we know that one of the big costs, of course, our families face are the expense of putting a roof over their heads. And so looking at all of that data, then that takes us right back to this issue of, of housing. When we first came in, we did a, a couple of things. We we closed, um, uh, 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 we're closing tax loopholes that relate to the way income derived from um, uh, um, rental accommodation is used. So that we're just putting it on an e a more even playing field. Uh, we've stopped the ability for those based overseas to be able to buy residential housing in New Zealand. Um, and we, of course, have increased um, our build on state housing, community housing. Actually, we know it's making a difference. The affordable um, homes uh, uh, first home buyers used to make up roughly 18% of our market. They now make up 24% of our market. So those are the kinds of indicators we're looking for to see a difference in, in housing and housing affordability. I think this is going to be my last question. Sure. You're in Paris to prepare for the summit tomorrow on a Christchurch call and um, to fight against uh, extreme violence online or violent extremism online. Yeah. I want to ask you, why does that effort have to be an international one? We know that um, in New Zealand's experience at least, uh, online platforms uh, were used to as a tool for this act of violence. Um, individual companies, uh, countries can regulate themselves. 
they can regulate their own domestic environment, but these are actually they're global tools, and so it does require a global response. That's what the Christchurch call is all about. It's the beginning. It's certainly not the end, and it is going to take ongoing work between both governments, but also companies. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud.com/OECD. slash